Just want to welcome all our viewers, wherever you are in New Zealand, across the nations of the world. Thank you for joining us for at Church Unlimited uh, today for this episode of Running With Fire. The longer I'm a Christian, the more thankful I am for my salvation. When I think that I'm saved while billions aren't, I stand in awe of God. And we should never take for granted the unbelievable privilege of being saved and of knowing that when we die, we will go to heaven. That should make a profound difference in our lives and how we face life. There was an elderly lady or a lady that was, maybe she wasn't that older, but she was working with elderly people and they said it was the poorest area of the United States. And uh, she noticed something that a lot of these elderly people, half of them were blacks and half of them were white. And um, they'd been through a lot in their lives through the Great Depression, been through the world wars, a lot of social upheaval. And so they had a lot of challenges in their lives. But she noticed something really interesting, that the white people overall, there were exceptions, but the white people overall were more fearful. They complained more. They were more negative about the things that were going on. While the black people seemed to maintain good humor and were more triumphant. And the reason for this was that you could trace it all back to the blacks' bedrock belief in heaven. And that just changed everything in terms of how they faced this phase in their lives, knowing that heaven was waiting for them. They say that if you go to a funeral of a black person, that the preachers paint such a magnificent picture of heaven with incredible eloquence that the congregation start fidgeting, wanting to go there. You want a fresh revelation of heaven? Go to a black funeral. Get in the midst of it and watch the heart and the passion and the revelation they have that heaven is awaiting them in the next life. Friends, if you get that revelation deep in your spirit, it will change the way you face life on this planet in a profound and in a powerful way. Hebrews 2 verse 3 says, not to neglect so great a salvation. In other words, don't take it lightly. I think our salvation enough Jesus dying on the cross, knowing going for heaven, is that is enough for us to never, ever complain in life because we are blessed beyond measure. You know, to know that our eternity is secure and it is enough to praise God every minute of every day. Even if He never did another thing ever for you in your life, He has done enough to earn your praise forever. When we get to heaven and realize what Jesus did for us through his birth and death, I don't think eternity will be long enough to express our gratitude to God for saving us. Let's go to Acts 26 and verse 18 because it really shows us what happens or what salvation is all about, what most of us have enjoyed. Verse 18 says this, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, 
that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in him. It says to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. Did you know that every unsaved person, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, your boss, if they are not saved, each and every one of them, according to the Bible, is walking in darkness. They're just walking in the dark. So they're going to crash into things like this. They're going to fall off the platform. I mean, when you're walking in darkness, your life is going to end up in an incredible mess. John 8 verse 12 puts it this way. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. See, I walked in darkness for 20 years of my life, and I crashed over and over again. I couldn't do otherwise. I didn't know where I was going. I was in pitch darkness. And so slowly but surely, step by step, I was making an absolute mess of my life. And, and the reason for that was that it was obvious. People probably looked on and think, man, you're, you're a bit of a mess. Why do you do this and that? I couldn't help it. I was in darkness. I didn't know where I was going. I had no idea what life was about. I didn't know how to live. I didn't know what right living was, what wrong living was. Why? Because I was in absolute darkness. And so is every unsaved person on the planet. They're walking in darkness. They're going to make a mess of their lives. And our job is to show them and introduce them to the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I walked in darkness over 20 years. And then one glorious day, I gave my life to Christ. And suddenly the lights came on. And I could see and I thought, oh, wow. So this is what my life is all about. And everything changed from that day to this day as I began no longer to walk in. A, I now knew where I was going. I now knew, you know, a, a purpose in life. I knew my salvation. I knew, I knew that, you know, life on earth was just a breath, a moment, a shadow, a second, a whisper, and I was gone. When I understood that, I thought, wow, it all now makes sense. The light had come on. And you know, every person, every person on the planet needs the light of God, and our task is to introduce them to light. When you see people in the future, just realize they're in pitch darkness. They're walking in blackness, like they just can't, like they just can't, can't see anything. Your job, open their eyes so they might see and not wreck and ruin and destroy their lives. In the beginning of the Bible, it says in Genesis that darkness covered the earth. There was just darkness everywhere. And then those magnificent words, God said, let there be light. And light shone and the darkness disappeared. We have a world full of darkness and multitudes of people are in darkness. And we need God once again to each and every individual like he did to me and to many of us to say, let there be light. And for the light to shine in our hearts and become believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, listen to this, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light, here it is again, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. See, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they do not believe the gospel. See, they can't believe it. Because they're blinded. Satan's kind of wrapped himself around their minds. So they just can't. And you, you talk to them and they just can't get it. We always wonder why aren't people saved? Because their minds are blinded. And so we've got to defeat that blindness. We've got to break the power of the blind. You do that through prayer. And you come against the blindness in your eyes and say, God, open their eyes 
take the blinkers off that they might see the truth of the gospel and give their lives to Christ. See, our job, friends, is to do everything we can to introduce people to the light of the gospel. Tony Campalo, that preacher and writer, he was speaking at a conference in Hawaii. With the time difference, he woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning. He went down to the cafe to get some food. There's a big guy behind the bar serving him, and he got himself something to drink. And at that moment, uh, some, the doors opened, and a stack of prostitutes walked in to that eating place. And he was ready to make a quick exit. Well, absolutely so. He should, 3 o'clock in the morning, surrounded by prostitutes. You've got to beeline it out fast. And so that's what he was about to do. But before he could get out, Agnes uh, somehow got talking to him and said, look, tomorrow it's my birthday. I'm turning 30, 39. She said, no one's ever done anything for me, and I don't expect you to do anything. She said, uh, all my life, no one has ever celebrated a birthday for me. Imagine that. Imagine if no one had ever celebrated your birthday. You know, there's a reason why people live the lives they live. They've suffered. There's, there's hurt. There's pain. There's things that have happened. So Tony Compelli, he hears this, and so instead of making a quick exit out, he, the light flicks on for him, and he thinks, I'm going to do something about this. So he goes up to the guy behind the bar, and he said, hey, how about we throw a birthday party for Agnes tomorrow? And the guy said, great idea. No one's ever done anything for Agnes. And they found out that Agnes came back to this place the same time every day, 3.30 in the morning. Next morning, Tony Campolo gets up, he races down to this eating place and decorates it all out. Own expense, own money. Big sign, happy birthday, Agnes. Word had got out. Place is packed with prostitutes and other people. Sure enough, 3.30 in the morning, the doors open and walks Agnes to the sound of Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Agnes. At that moment, she's stunned, she's shaken, she's sobbing, she is overwhelmed. No one had ever taken this kind of interest in her in her entire 39 years. She got the cake and she took it home. And after she left, Tony prayed with all the prostitutes. And they prayed for Agnes. And they prayed for her salvation. See, friends, we have to do everything we can to shine the light of the gospel. You can be sure she found out who was behind this, that it was a Christian. It was a preacher in this case. And I'm sure that would have touched her hearts. Maybe she did come to cry. I don't know the end of the story. But see, the end of the story is God's job. Our job is to do what we can. We're not talking about you have to go and knock on doors, so there's nothing wrong with that. We're not saying that you have to be a you know, confrontational evangelist. No, we're not saying that. But we are saying do what you can to shine the light of the gospel. And you know the easiest way to do that? Just go love on people. Just love them. Just love them and see what God will start to do. Sometimes the walls are so thick and so layered over with hurt and pain that it takes love to start opening it up a little bit so that the gospel will finally penetrate in their hearts. So we can all do that, can't we? Love still is the greatest, and that's what happened in this case. 
So back to verse 18 of Acts 28, in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. I want you to think about that for a moment. Salvation turns people from the power of Satan to God. Did you know that you were once under the power of Satan? He was ruling, controlling, dictating your life. I was certainly under his power. And when I look back at the things I did, I sort of kind of make sense that, gosh, that rascal, you know what he did in my life, how he, how he messed me up. And people who are not saved, they're influenced by him. So the question we've got to ask is, if they're under the power of Satan, what is Satan like? What does he do? John 10, verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. The mission of Satan, the thief, is very clear. He will mess people's lives up in every possible way that he can. He'll kill, he'll destroy, he'll damage, he'll devastate, he'll do anything that possible that is going to make make an absolute mess of their lives. He'll ruin them in every way. And the worst possible stealing, killing, and destroying that can actually happen to a person in life is that they die without coming to Christ, and they go to a lost eternity in hell forever. They have been stolen their right to heaven. They've been stolen forgiveness of sins. They've been stolen in the, in the worst possible way. And our job is to make sure that we get them and, and, and break the power of Satan over their lives, that they might come to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered why our world is such a mess? I don't know how many of you watch the news. I watch the news every night. I record it so I can watch it very quickly. But it's like a horror movie now, is it not? I mean, on every front, there is a disaster somewhere. There's a flood. There's a hurricane. There's a tornado, there is an earthquake, there's a volcano going up, there, there's wars, uh, there, there's ethnic cleansing, there's you know, uh, uh, people drowning in, in boats, uh, there's, there's murder, there's violence, there's abuse, there's, there's bombs, there's possible hydrogen bombs are now being spoken of. Uh, uh, this is a world out of control. This is a world descent, spiraling very rapidly into absolute and utter chaos. Uh, but should we be surprised? No, we should not. Why? Because this world has primarily turned its back on God. It says, we don't want God. We don't need God. And they're staying unknown to them under the power of Satan. And he is working complete and utter havoc, devastation, and destruction in the world that we live in right now. And the only hope, friends, is nothing else is possible. That's all that can happen when you're under the power of Satan to that degree. Our job is to do what we can in our power to rescue those who are under the power of the enemy. No one in their right mind would ever reject Jesus if they understood what it was about and stay under the power of Satan. If you said someone on the street and they, you could explain it well enough, hey, do you want to be under Satan's power, Jesus' power? Everyone said Jesus' power, please. But they're blinded. They can't see. So we've got to break through all the blindness and rescue them and bring them to Christ. So this pastor takes over a church. It's 50 years old. And... Uh, Everyone thought he was really lucky, owned building, you know, nothing to set up. It was, just a, it was just fantastic. But he soon realized that the church had virtually no relationship with its community and with the lost world. So there they were, happy chappy, happy clappy <laughs> in their church. Four walls there, everything set up. Everyone came in, had a great time, and everyone went home. But they were locked inside the four walls of the church. The unsaved couldn't get in, and they couldn't get out. But they were all comfortable. This was good. They enjoyed it but no impact of turning people from darkness to life. They'd forgotten the whole mission of the church. 
to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So the pastor made a radical step. <laughs> Not many pastors would do this. So he shifted the church out of the church building and then went down to the local high school where they had to set up the place every Sunday. And in order to run church, they had to start connecting with the community. They had to start talking to business people. They had to start making relationships with, with people who were unbelievers in order to begin to have an effective church. In the first six months, 50% of the people left the church. They thought, oh, no, you want us to evangelize? You want us to reach lost people? No, I just want to come to church. I want to sing. I want to hear a good message. I want to go home, and I'll come back next Sunday if you're lucky. But hey, this, this connecting with a lost world, come on, pastor. And so 50%, imagine the courage of this pastor. to do. They, they, they just left. But then there were those who stayed who began to engage with their community, began to engage with lost people, and they suddenly found themselves being energized. They suddenly found that their faith began to grow, and they began to enjoy their Christianity. See, friends, when we join with God on His mission, our, our, our walk with God, our faith comes alive. Because finally, we're living it out for the purpose for which it was given. We, we've been saved in order to shine as lights uh, to a lost world. So when we begin to take a heart for lost people, we join with the heart of God. He begins to pour a spirit into us. Our faith begins to grow. God's power begins to work and flow through us. And, and tremendous things happen in our lives. And it all starts with uh, going on mission and being engaging with a lost world. You see, friends... My opinion, when we don't engage in any way with reaching lost people, our, our Christianity really struggles. It really struggles to have purpose. It, you know, we say, God, give me power. And he's saying, well, why? You don't need any. God, God anoint me. And he said, well, why? <laughs> oh, well, so I can, you know, enjoy church more. No, no, no. He'll anoint us for the mission. He'll anoint us for the cause. Our Christianity will, you know, you'll find anyone who's got a heart for mission will be an excited Christian. It just, it just goes hand in hand, and, and I think God wants to move us in that direction together. We need our churches to be places that welcome outcasts, where all kinds of sinners are welcome. Is that, would you agree with that? It's amazing Jesus never came as a king or a person of wealth or a high class. His mother got pregnant as an unmarried teenager. He was born in poverty, no place to lay his head. He was a refugee in Egypt. He came as a marginalized person. Why? He wanted the world to know that he died for everybody from the very least to the very greatest. God's heart was for all people. You know, the, the high class, the low class, the in-between class, those who lived a good life, those who lived in the gutter, those who had a good background, those who had a completely immoral background, Jesus came for every single one of us. Now, I've got an important question to ask you that is going to take a bit of intelligence now, all right? Is someone ready for an intelligent question? Okay, even if you're not, you're going to get it. So here's the question. How much is a pig worth? Can you just ask the person next to you, how much is a pig worth? Don't ask them. You're not calling them a pig, all right? Just saying, what do you think a pig's worth? It's a really important question. I mean, it's, my whole message depends on you knowing this. All right, you ready? So let's go to Mark 5 and reading verse 1 to 6. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he came out of the boat, immediately met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. 
who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with chains and shackles. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, listen to this, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out, cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And we read in verse 9, it says, he asked him, what's your name? He said, uh, my name is Legion, for we are many, a thousand demons. He also begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine. Here's the pigs feeding there near the mountain. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. At once Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits went out, entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned. Pigs drowned in the sea. Jesus cast the demon out of them into the swine. We read in verse 15, the demon-possessed man was sitting and clothed in his right mind. What a horrific condition this man was in. Overwhelmed by evil, abandoned by society, lived among the tombs, shackles, chains, couldn't bound them. Night and day, he's up in the mountains, crying out, cutting himself with stones and, and uh, living a, a totally depraved and lost life. He was beyond earthly help. Do you know anybody like that? Do you ever see anybody and you think they are beyond earthly help? Their life is such a wreck. Their life is such a mess. They are so far from God. They are so messed up. There is not any chance that any good can come out of their lives. Do you know anybody like that? Or maybe you know someone that's not quite that bad, but you know someone that is actually is away from God, that, that, that you're reaching out to, that you want. Maybe you've got kids that, that don't seem to be showing any interest in Christ, and it almost seems like a hopeless situation. This man is in a terrible condition. And then he meets Jesus, and everything changes. Everything changed. Soon he's sitting in a, and clothed in his right mind and a committed follower of Jesus. Talk about deliverance from the power of Satan to God. Nothing is too hard for our God. Nothing is impossible for him. That person you're praying for, you're believing for, that you're asking God for, God can turn them around. He can deliver them from the power of Satan unto himself, and they can become useful and powerful members of society. Keep praying for them, keep reaching out to them, and keep believing in them. It's amazing what salvation can do. So they enter these 2,000 pigs, and they are drowned. Now, pigs are not cheap. I want to suggest that they are maybe worth around $300. $300. Do I have a bid on $300? Is it $310? $310, thank you. Is there a th do I have a $320 there? We're talking about the value of an individual, by the way. Do I have three, thank you, $350 over there? $370, $400. Let's keep on going. This is not an auction, by the way. <laughs> so let's say $300. Let's do the maths. 2,000 pigs drown at $300 each. $600,000. Question, that's a massive amount of money thrown away for the sake of rescuing a hopeless, demon-possessed man who is a burden to society. Here's what it looks like. On one side, you lose $600,000. On the other side, 
One man is cleansed, healed, restored, saved, and heading home to tell other people about what Jesus happened to him. The truth is this, folks, that in the eyes of Jesus, the rescue, restoration, and salvation of one person is of more value than $600,000. In fact, the value the Bible says all the wealth in the world is not enough to buy one single person's salvation. The wealth of the world today is somewhere around $100 trillion, and every person on the planet is worth it. Did you know that the person sitting next to you, have a good look at them right now, they are worth $100 trillion. In fact, even more than that, you didn't know that, eh? You better handle with care, and you better look after them. They are worth a hang of a lot of money, but guess what, folks? So is a homeless man worth $100 trillion. So is a drug addict. So is the alcoholic. So is a person caught in pornography. So are the porn stars. So are the murderers. So are those who are on death row in prison. Every person on the planet is worth at least $100 trillion. In fact, they're worth more than that. They're worth the price of the Son of God who gave himself for every single individual on earth. Friends, don't, don't sell out for $100 trillion. You're worth way more than that. You're worth the value of the Son of God. You cannot put a price on that. You see, friends, we need to understand how valuable every individual on the planet is. When you, anyone you walk past, and I know you do it and I do it, and you think, man, what a loser, what a hopeless guy. Friends, do not think about that again. Think $100 trillion. Think what, the value of the Son of God. Jesus, if he was here, he would die for that person who's lying in the gutter or who is a CEO of a big company but is far away from God. It doesn't matter from the greatest to the least, friends. They're worth all, more than all the wealth in the world. I bet you didn't know how valuable you were. Huh? But now you know. It is amazing how much every person on earth means to God. When you begin to understand that, that mobilizes you to mission. It mobilizes you thinking, I've got to... I've got to somehow get this person to Christ. You may not be the evangelist, but you may be the lover. You may just be able to reach out to them in some way. You may be able to give to them financially. You may be able to something, some way. You may be part of a team that's reaching out to those who don't know Christ. I want to look at two of the most fatal words ever spoken. Acts 26, 27, 28. Fasten your seatbelts, folks. The waves are going to get pretty high in the next few minutes. The storm is going to rage a little bit. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. King Agrippa was almost persuaded. He almost became a Christian. Almost persuaded were two fateful words. And you can add another word to those two, and that's the word someday. King Agrippa could have said, someday, I'll give my life to Christ. These powerful words can apply to so many areas of your life and of my life. We can be almost persuaded to save some money and not spend so much. We can be almost persuaded to give a bit more time to our friends, to our family, to our marriage. We can be almost persuaded to turn away from that sin 
to deal with an addiction. One day, God will put that relationship right. One day, I'm going to forgive them. One day, I'm going to pay that debt. We can be almost persuaded to use our gifts to serve God. Or someday, I'll get right with God. Someday, I'll reach out to my family and friends. Someday, I'm going to serve God with passion. God, I know that I'm, you know, I'm just hanging back a little bit, God, but just give me a bit of time. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost persuaded. I'm just about over the line, God, but you know, someday, God, just, just hang out there for a bit. The danger of those three words is simply this, and I'm guilty as well, all right, so I'm not just getting at you. The danger of those words is they're like an anesthetic. Because it makes you feel okay. You know, like God, well, God, you know, one, one day I'm going to serve you, God. So you feel like, oh, I'm okay. It's not like God, ha, flag that, man. I'm never going to serve you. And we're not like that. I'm never going to spend time with my family. I'm never going to put that sin right, right? And we don't talk like that. We just think, no, no, I, God, it's in my plans. It's like an anesthetic. And you sort of think, oh, yeah, I can live with that. And that's why these are such fatal words. Because the end result of being almost persuaded is the same as not doing anything at all. A lot of people will almost get to heaven. People who almost got to heaven will spend just as long in a lost eternity in hell as a person who fully rejected the gospel. We're either saved or lost. There is actually no in between. There's no second chance. King Agrippa heard the gospel from probably the finest preacher of the day, maybe the finest of all time next to Jesus, who actually got the original revelation of salvation. If anyone knew how to share Christ and salvation, it was the apostle Paul. And Agrippa had the privilege, along with his mate Festus, of hearing the gospel through Paul. And Agrippa was as close to heaven at that moment as he would ever be. His eternal soul was hanging in the balance during Paul's sermon. Agrippa's friend Festus thought Paul was crazy. He's a madman. He wasn't interested in the gospel at all, but it appears both of them died in a lost condition, and Agrippa got no points for being close, for being almost persuaded. No points. Zero. In his book, Just As I Am, Billy Graham tells about a conversation he had with the President of the United States, John F. Kennedy. When they're traveling together, the president stopped his car and he said to Billy Graham, do you believe in the second coming of Jesus? He said, I certainly do. He said, well, does my church believe it? He said, they don't preach it. I'd like to know what you think. Isn't it amazing that deep down in people's hearts, there's a search? Yes. President of the United States, it doesn't matter. There's a search. Okay, he expresses it about the second coming. Someone else will express it in a different way. Before I was saved, there was a search in my heart. I didn't, I didn't understand the search, but there was a search. there's a search in every human heart. You know why? Because God has placed eternity in the heart of man. Every man knows his eternity. Deep down they know, and so there's a search. In the long, they look for it in all the wrong directions. So that person you're trying to reach for Christ, there is a search already in there. If you can tap into where they're searching, you'll probably be able to give them an answer. So John F. Kennedy, obviously there was something going on in his life at that time. And Billy explained the Bible to him about Christ coming the first time, about Jesus dying on the cross, rising from the dead, told him the gospel, and promising to come back again. Kennedy said, that is very interesting. We'll have to talk more about it someday. There's those words again, eh? Someday. Several years passed, and they met again. Billy Graham had the flu. 
After the meeting, the president said to Billy, would you ride back to the White House with me? I'd like to see you for a minute. He said to the president, I've got a fever. We've got the flu. Could we talk some other time? And the president agreed. But they would actually never meet again because later that year, President John F. Kennedy would be shot dead. Billy Graham in his book says, his hesitation at the car door and the request still haunt me. What was on the president's mind? Should I have gone with him? It was an irrecoverable moment. Maybe Kennedy was almost persuaded. And Billy Graham almost took another chance to spend time with the president. Well, none of us ever want to end our lives plagued by the words almost persuaded or someday. They are such powerful words. It can apply to so many areas of our lives. And so here's my challenge to you and to me today. What decisions do you need to make today to move from almost persuaded, to move from someday to God, I'm going to do it today. I'm going to get on to this Today, I'm not going to wait another day. Please don't think I'll do it in two days' time or five days' time because by then this may have gone from your head. As God is stirring your heart right now, make some decisions, whatever they might be. And the decision I want you to make is not based on what I said because you don't obey the voice of man. But what is the Holy Spirit saying? Obey His voice. And I have no idea what he's saying to you, but I'm sure he's saying something. I want to encourage you to grab a hold of it and sort it out. Is, do you need to put a relationship right? Do you need to finally say, okay, God, I'm ready to use my gifts to serve you. God, I've hung back, but now it's time. I'm getting on board. Do you need to forgive someone? Do you need to deal with bitterness in your heart? Do you need to spend more time with your family, your kids, your friends, your marriage, whatever it might be? Do you need to make a decision to be more committed to just church? Maybe go into a small group. Because all those things will bless you and benefit you in tremendous ways. There's a desperately lost world outside the four walls of every church on the planet. People walking in darkness, people under the power of Satan. Let's not be almost persuaded to do what we can to reach them. Jesus left the great commission to the church, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Who is the church? It's you and me. We are his only plan. There is no other plan. You are his plan. I am his plan. But most of all, let's not be almost persuaded to give our lives to Jesus or to get right with God and end up in the wrong place. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, now is the accepted time.
Behold, today is the day of salvation.